Welcome to podcast number 46 for Thanks for Your Service. Our focus is on historical topics relating to the Australian military. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Thanks for Your Service. Our website is www.thanksforyourservice.net and you can also email us at info at In podcast number 45, author Michael Veach joined us to talk about his latest book on the Battle of the Bismarck Sea. This is the second part of that interview. And there are photos of the battle that also appear in your book. Yes, yes. I was wondering, uh, um, Robert Gehring, who's Bull Gehring's son, who I've become friends with, he's a lovely man. Um, he's fairly elderly now himself, and he spent a fabulous career in the Royal Australian Navy and the, the Royal Navy. He happened to have some originals of some of the um, combat photos, the reconnaissance combat photos that he lent me, which I've been able to reproduce with his kind permission in the book. Um, and some of Pera's photographs, uh, I was able to get too. So that was really good to be able to get them, yeah. Now, part of the title of your book is the Battle of the Bismarck Sea was the battle that saved the Pacific. Why did it save the Pacific? Well, look, that might be, I might be drawing a, a bit of a long bow there, but if you consider the consequences of, of their of if this convoy had succeeded, the battle for New Guinea would have been extended probably a year. It would have been far bloodier. Probably the, the Japanese probably couldn't have won that the war after they had um, uh, not not quite succeeded um, in their first a uh, hundred day blitz. The writing was probably on the wall eventually, but it was going to be a long and bloody affair. Uh, having to go, New Guinea was almost the most ghastly place to fight in the Second World War. And that includes the Russian front, many military historians have said. Because, yes, you froze, you, you, you froze to death in, the, in, in, in Russia, but New Guinea is the tropics. Everything you touch can make you sick. Um, there are no supplies. So, um, unfortunately, we weren't taught to live off the land there. It's stinking. It's hot. It's sweating. There are alligators and crocodiles. There are poisonous spiders. There are malaria, the diseases, uh, malaria, dengue fever, beriberi, prickly heat, things that were just intolerably awful. Um, plants like the waiter wild tree, which was this bush that if you brush into, you this like knives sort of gorge into your skin and you've, you've got to pull them out. And there are hundreds that you've got to pull out. Uh, it's not a pleasant place to have to fight a war. Great place to visit if you're on a nice path, mm. looking through the jungle and looking at uh, tropical birds, which is something I like to do as a hobby. But having to fight there was ghastly, absolutely ghastly. This would have been extended. The casualties for young American and young Australian men would have been astronomically higher than what they uh, what they were. Um, we probably would have lost the stomach for it. People would have said, "Why are we fighting this bloody for this bloody island up there? We never, no one even knows anything about it." So, um, the consequences of Convoy eighty one getting through, I think, were absolutely dire. And uh, perhaps it wouldn't have saved the Pacific War, but it would have. But, but it, uh, uh, um, I believe it. Did Australia, it saved Australia's war in the Pacific. Mm. I enjoyed how in the book you 
lead up to the battle with a focus on a number of the key players. Now, you've spoken about Bulgaring and Kenny. Does, does any other individual in particular stand out to you? Oh, Gunn, uh, Pappy Gunn, um, uh, Paul Pappy Gunn, who was uh, an American, who's an American civil pilot, actually, um, who was a brilliant aviator and a brilliant mechanic. And he was, he actually had a, he was sort of in his 40s at the beginning of the war, and he was running a little, little micro airline in the Philippines, quite because it was an American. Uh, I don't know what you call the Philippines, American colony, American protectorate, or something, uh, up to World War One. That's why MacArthur was there, and that's why the American Army was there at Corregidor and places like that, and Bataan and all that kind of stuff. But um, uh, Paul Gunn was a, a brilliant pilot who had a who flew the, who flew a couple of twin beaches back and forth across the Philippines, and he had his wife and his um, wife and his daughter were over there living in. Manila, and they had to bunk out when the Japanese came in. He actually let, had to leave his his wife and child. They were kind of captured, and he wasn't, and he couldn't get to them. Now, in, thank God they actually survived in the Philippines. But they, um, Gunn then came to, uh, uh, was asked to do some Air Force missions with the American um, Army Air Corps, and he uh, attacked a couple of Japanese emplacements and did some daring do and went up and picked up some, some Chinese uh, spies and diplomats and things as the Japanese were coming down through the Philippines. And then he made his way to, to, the, to Australia with MacArthur's retreat. And he was the one that started tinkering with the Mitchells out at um, um, Charters Towers in Townsville, realising that um, you can't actually uh, use these aircraft as medium bombers in the Pacific because they're just too weak and they don't have enough firepower and um, no forward armament. So he just converted them. And uh, General Kenny loved what Gunn was doing and said, OK, uh, can you do it with half a dozen of them? And he said, sure, boss, I'll do what I can. And there was a wonderful uh, thing where, because he was working and being paid by the American Air Force, Gunn, Pappy Gunn, but he wasn't actually in the American Air Force. And he had to actually go to General Kenny, uh, slightly sheepish one day, and said, uh, General, something I've got to tell you, um, you know how I've been flying, and 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 and, and you know I've actually been fl- I've actually flown combat missions, um, and uh, you you and um, I've you, I've been given a rank and all that. I'm actually not in the air force. I never did the paperwork. He went what? <laughs> uh. And he contacted Washington and said, "Oh, can you fast track this? Um, uh, can you fast track?" And said, "No, no, no, no. He'll have to come back and do a twelve-month training course." And and he said, "No way. We need him." So he actually apparently went to, I think he went to um, the vice president, Roosevelt's vice president, was it Stimson or something, and got it done. But uh, Pappy Gunn was, is a terrific character, it's yeah. full of really amazing characters. Uh, Black Jack Walker, who was the commanding officer of um, Thirty Squadron, the Australian Bowfighter Squadron. Who, um, who was very cross the day of the battle because he wasn't on the battle order because his uh, observer was sick and he didn't have anyone to fly because they were a twin crewed aircraft, the bow fighter. Um, and so sort of sulking around 12 miles strip, he went and sort of 
as the rest of the bow fighters were taking off to go to join the war, he sort of stomped around and saw this young guy and this young English, apparently was uh, bow fighter navigator. And he said, hey, you, what's your name? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Frederick, sir. All right, Fredericks, you're in that plane. Where we going to war? And he'd never met him before. <laughs> he just sort of threw him into his bow fighter and he took off like half an hour after the rest of his squadron and flew into it with the Americans. Uh, he was flying up there with the lightning. So it was um, the um, Lockheed Lightning's flying flying cover and one Bristol Bowfighter being flown by Blackjack Walker. Mm. <laughs> so there are lots of great stories and lots of great characters. And this is not your first book on Australian military history topics. What are the, some of the other books you've written? Well, um, my first uh, books that I wrote were three... Um, three books of interviews back, uh, simple interviews with former airmen, because I've always had a love of the air, of the the, the airmen of World War II and and their history. And when I was, you know, uh, uh, 20 or 15 years ago, many of them were alive still. Virtually none are now. But they were at their last, you know, chapters of their life and many had never told their stories of what they did during the war so i went and tracked down tracked down about a hundred and put them into three books being flack the second one was called fly and the third one was heroes of the skies so uh and that's what got me going then i did a couple of other books i did a book on um uh and the 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 bismarck sea book actually is the third of a Pacific trilogy, if you like, uh, um, discussing the events over one important year from the beginning of 1942 to the beginning of 1943. Bismarck Sea, is the, which we've been discussing, is the last one. The first one was the defence of Moresby in early 42, when 75 Squadron was sent up in their Kitty Hawks uh, as the only air defence of Port Moresby when the Japanese were softening it, softening it up when it was completely undefended in um, um, in March, April, May 1942. Um, the middle of the trilogy is a book called Turning Point, which is about the extraordinary Battle of Milne Bay. And that really is one, David, that should be on the stamps because this was Japan's first defeat on land in the entire Second World War. And it was only Australian. There were virtually there were like two or three Americans involved, but it was an Australian um, Australian exercise from top to bottom. Where the Japanese landed and tried to sort of sneak land a, a, a force to try and take some airfields at the end of Milne Bay, which is on the far eastern tip of New Guinea. I thought if they got the airfields, they um, could use them to strike Moresby, but they failed and they were pushed back by Australians and only Australian. So I'm currently um, I'm writing my 12th book, uh, which is revisiting the extraordinary Coast Watcher story. Mm. Um, really, and I had no idea of just on a scale of adventure what was happening, what these people, and virtually all of them were, civilians they were sort of nominally given a, a military rank to protect them from the japanese if they were captured because they thought it might be they wouldn't just be sh- shot as spies or it didn't do any good the japanese were just as barbaric to military people as they were to civilians and vice versa but the uh coast watcher story is absolutely 
unbelievable. It is dozens and dozens and dozens of extraordinary stories, a couple of hundred people um, scattered through uh, New Guinea, the islands behind the Japanese occupation area, reporting by antique radios what the Japanese were doing. A Coast Watcher say a, a Coast Watcher really saved the, the, the Coast Watchers and the Americans acknowledges saved the Battle of Guadalcanal. Mm. Fellow called Paul Paul Mason, who was on who was to the north, he was on Bougainville. The morning the American Marines landed, I think in July was it August? I know forty two. I'm shocking with dates. Excuse me. Um, the morning they landed. The Japanese got wind of it and from Rabaul sent over um, uh, several dozen torpedo bombers and dive bombers. They went right over his head. Paul Mason, uh, uh, an open voice, sent one of the most famous messages of World War II, which was 40 bombers heading yours. That's all he said. 40, 40 bombers, well, 40 Japanese bombers heading yours. It was relayed to Townsville, no, to Moresby, to Townsville, to Sydney, to Canberra, to Honolulu, and in ten minutes, the the commander, uh, um, General Vandergrift, I think his name was, at the Marines had the message, and they had um, something like ninety minutes warning, and it was enough to stop the just the unloading of the American uh, Marines and pull the ships back out to sea get them ready for anti-aircraft and to alert the uh, Grumman Wildcats of the fighter uh, from the carriers just over the horizon. And the Japanese were made mincemeat of. That was their first attempt to destroy the Americans on Guadalcanal. And, and without that, they would have sprung them. They would have turned up and started to attack the ships, and who knows what would have happened. But thanks to Paul Mason... <laughs> And we were very yeah. lucky to uh, chat with one of the last Coast Watchers still alive, Jim Burrows, uh, last year as well on one of yes, our podcasts. Yes, I know. And, and he's still going. And I have spoken with with Jim. He's a wonderful gent. And uh, he's still going strong. Unfortunately, he, he, he wasn't in uh, one of the most interesting areas. So not much actually happened to Jim. But, he, but as far as... Um, a wonderful picture of what the Coast Watchers Jim did, and Jim's web website, the Last Coach Coast Watcher, is terrific for anyone anybody interested. Fascinating information there. Indeed. Now, Michael, you're also an officer in the RAAF Reserve. What led to your service? Well, they well they asked me uh, <laughs> um, when the um, forty when when the Bismarck Sea book came out. Uh, no, sorry, when the turning point, the Milne Bay book came out, I was doing some talks in Canberra for the Air Force because there was a big Air Force component in this story. And they said, would you like to help us um, promote the story of the Royal Australian Air Force, particularly coming up to their centenary, which was last year, unfortunately, because we know it happened last year. Something else was in the news, apart from the 100th anniversary of the RAAF. Um, um and I said, yes, I'd like to do that. That sounds good. And I said, well, actually, it would make it, make it much easier for us, us if we could bring you into the organisation. I said, what? <laughs> and I said, would you like to be? Uh, would you like to apply to be an officer? And we'll give you the rank of squadron leader. So I said, well, what could I say except, um, yes, thank you. That sounds most interesting. And uh, a year or so later, I... Um, I'm a squadron leader with the Royal Australian Air Force Reserve and very proud to be so too. Brilliant. So 
the book we've been talking about today is The Battle of the Bismarck Sea, The Forgotten Battle That Saved the Pacific, published by Hatchet Australia. Where can people purchase the book? Hatchet. 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 Hatchet um, Australia. Hatchet. Oh, it's in any, it's in all the major bookstores. It's online. It's on Amazon. It's on Booktopia. It's a, it's a, it's a very easy buy. It's a, Hatchet's a major publisher and it's pretty well distributed too. So, um, so yeah, very, very, very easy to find. Major bookshops have it, or they can order if that they can they can order it in. Um, Dimmicks, places like that. And you can even get a signed copy if you want from yourself. How do people do you that? You can if you. <laughs> uh, they can hit me up on Facebook. I've got a professional Facebook page. Um, uh, uh, very welcome to send a message. I've got about five left. So I'm very happy to. I think it comes in at about thirty bucks, including postage, for the um, book. So uh, if there's a couple of people out there that want to sign copy, do hit me up on my uh, Michael Veach Facebook, and that's the best way to message me, and we can do it that way. <laughs> and, and, and it really is a, a great read for those who who want to grab the book, Michael. Um, a fascinating insight into the Battle of Bismarck Sea. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a great pleasure, David. Thanks for the opportunity. We also have a YouTube channel. to search for Thanks for Your Service and you can find links on our website and Facebook page. That's the podcast for today. We're keen to hear your feedback. Leave a comment on our Facebook page and if you're listening to us via iTunes or other podcast apps, please leave a review. Your review helps others find our podcast. You can help support this podcast via Patreon or Buy Me A Coffee. The links are on our website and your support helps us with the production of this podcast. Thanks for listening.